What an awesome privilege is ours to be able to sing such a song. All I have is Christ because all I need is Christ. Take away everything else in life, doesn't matter, just give me Christ and Christ alone. So we rejoice in that incredible song and that truth. Turn with me there if you're not there already to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, 22 to 25. The tumultuous turns tranquil. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 62 that power belongs to God. He speaks in Psalm 67, 65, the one who by his strength sets fast the mountains being girded with power. In Psalm 79, he speaks of the greatness of your power. Isaiah the prophet says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and measured out the heavens with the span and measured the dust of the earth in a me- measured and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. Our God is a powerful God, an awesome God. You know, our universe, when we look at it, is so awesome and amazing when we're able to just hear such details as this. Telescopes can take us billions of light years into space, and yet we have not come near the edge of the universe. We have discovered certain gravitational principles that keep the planets and the stars in orbit, yet we're far from explaining those principles, much less really duplicating them. The earth spins on its axis at a thousand miles an hour at the equator, and it travels in a 580 million mile orbit around the sun at about a thousand miles a minute, with the rest of the solar system careening through space at even faster speed that would take billions of years to to, um, complete. The energy of sun has been estimated to be equivalent to 500 million, million, billion horsepower. There are at least 100,000 million other suns in our galaxy, and most of them are larger than our own sun. So we just start to put ourselves, our minds around such truths. And we read in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Godhead was involved in this creation. In fact, it says a little bit later in that same chapter, let us make man in our image. John and Paul both speak of Jesus Christ being involved in creation. In fact, John 1.12 says, all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In Colossians 1.16, Paul says, for by him all things were created. So we see that this God that created, it was God the, God the Son that was doing the creating. You know, Jesus Christ came into this world in part to demonstrate that power, to show forth that power in the lives of mankind, and to show that all indeed, making a statement of who he was, that he truly was, yes, the Son of God, God the Son. You know, the all-powerful Messiah had the ability to redeem man, had the ability to redeem man from sin, to reconcile man to himself, to restore and renew the earth as it was prior to the curse. And Christ came for that purpose. When Jesus walked on earth, and we, we read through the Gospels, and we see these stories of what, what the Lord's doing, and we see him performing miracles, which really just give a foretaste of what it's going to be like when we live forever with him in the kingdom. You know, when Jesus healed diseases and he restored broken bodies, He's really giving a preview. This is what it's going to be like in my kingdom where there will be no sickness. There will be no deformity. When he cast out demons, he was giving a preview of what it's going to be like in the, in the kingdom. There will be no demonic evil activity. 
in God's kingdom. When he raised the dead from, from, um, from their death condition, he was giving a preview of what it's going to be like in the kingdom. There will be no death. There will be no sickness. There will be no illness. When we step into the Gospels and into our Luke account here, we look at the Gospels and we're reminding when Jesus, remember when he healed the paralytic man? When he healed him and he made this statement, that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth. It wanted to be understood that he was one that had power, true power. And that power only belongs to one person. As he taught in the Capernaum Synagogue, and if I may say a side note, we'll be in Capernaum this summer and we'll be seeing the 4th century synagogue. But we'll see underneath layers of the 1st century where Jesus taught this very, made this very statement on the Sabbath day when he made a statement, for my word is with power. When he cast out a demon out of a man in that same synagogue, the people said, what a word is this? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. So what is the supreme proof of Jesus' divinity? Who, what is the supreme proof of his deity and his messiahship? It is his absolute power that he had over everything on earth. And that's what Jesus is teaching the disciples. And he wanted to continue to shape their understanding of who he was and our incredible story that we're looking at this morning. So if I were to put it in a big idea of what I'm after, have faith in the person and power of God, the Son. Have faith in the person. You know, we, we talk about many of us have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, but it doesn't stop there. My everyday life must continue to show that I have faith in who he is and I have faith in his power, which eliminates a lot of things in my life that we'll get to in a moment. So let's look at verses 22 and 23, the particulars in verse 22. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side. It's good when studying the Gospels to compare Gospel accounts. So we compare the Matthew, the Mark, and the Luke account, and we come up with a full story of all that's happening, though we're choosing Luke as our, 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 our basis. But Mark, Mark 4 shows us that Christ had an exhausting day. In fact, it says that this was the evening of, of that day. And we look at the context and we see that Jesus is busy, involved in teaching, giving many lessons and parables, though it doesn't say it, but I'm sure he was involved in healing also. And then one of the parables that we're familiar with is the sower and the seed. So here is Jesus, an exhausting, busy day of teaching and preaching. If I could be tired, I know I'm old, after one hour of speaking or a half hour, don't worry, we won't be here an hour, um, the Lord all day in the sun teaching and sharing and emotionally. So he gets to the end of the day. And that's a setting as we disciples are going towards this boat. But we're looking at when Christ makes this statement, let's cross to the other side. I see a couple of things just jumping out in the story that follows and in our story. It's really Christ is teaching and shaping. This is who I am. Or a side note, the sovereignty of God in life. And he's really shaping and instructing the disciples so they understand who Christ is. Jesus had to be on that boat. It was a divine appointment being on that very boat because what was about to have happen had to happen. He needed to take the disciples' understanding of who he was and inflate it with more air to make it larger. They had to have a bigger concept and, and, 
and understanding of who Christ is. Because unless they truly understand who he is, this sign up here, worship, it's not going to happen. If you have a faulty understanding of who Christ is, you cannot worship God. You see, because we truly worship God through Jesus Christ. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by me. No man's able to worship the Father but through me. So the disciples had to get who Jesus was to truly have a relationship with God, to truly worship him. But I see another reason that he had to be on that sea, because he had a divine appointment on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He had to meet this demonic-possessed man and change his life. Jesus knew that all the townspeople would say to him, please, please leave. They were afraid of him. They asked him to leave. But he was about changing the life of one man who would then become a preacher in the cities of Decapolis, telling what God had done in his life. So we see the sovereignty of God as he's getting on, this, on these waters. May we remember that nothing ever happens in our lives. Nothing ever comes into our lives that is a mistake. That catches the Godhead by surprise. That God didn't ordain and God doesn't bring into our lives. Jesus Christ is led by the Spirit of God. And so in our lives, when things come, we also, as we're led by the Spirit of God, understand, God, you have a purpose for everything that's coming. I believe that you're sovereign. I believe in the person and power of God. And this situation that's coming in my life, God, you can handle it. So we look in verse 23. As they set out, they sailed, he fell asleep. Christ is exhausted. No doubt, exhausted from a long day of teaching, all day interacting with people, impacting truth, giving divine truth. Jesus fell asleep. I look at this account and I think this is so awesome. God the Son is about to present one of the most stunning demonstrations of who he was in his power to control nature. But before he does that, he gives us a picture of his humanness. Here he is, exhausted after a long day. You know, all of the sinless parts of man he had. He got exhausted. He tired. He was hungry. He was sleepy. All of these parts affected Christ, the God-man. So here is Christ in his deity, but in his humanness, he's asleep. Falling asleep. And, you know, you look at the scene. Here he's on this boat, and the boat is rocking. Man, I need things to be still. You know, I'm not like a baby. I don't want it to be rocking in, in, in my bed there. And then you have the wind that's blowing and howling all around him, you know, messing up his hair. I hate hair messed up. But water being thrown on his face, exhausted, fast asleep. None of that's affecting him. Fast asleep in the boat. So here we look at this storm that's suddenly coming down. You know, I'm reminded, here's the Lord in, in this condition. He can relate to what I'm going through in life. He understood what it was to be the God-man, but in his humanness, 100% man. So whatever we may have going on in our lives, we can go to the Lord because he completely understands. Well, here it talks about a, a storm coming down. If you were to see the sea, if you were to be on the Sea of Galilee looking north, if you were to say you're in the center of the Sea of Galilee, you'll see to the west there are a couple of valleys that come down. So it's lower on the west, on the northwest side, which we'll see this summer. 
and on the northeast side, there is more mountainous, which allows cool wind or wind to come in from the west and cool air coming in from the higher altitude of Israel, Mount Hermon being about 9,000 feet, that air sweeping down, and then you have the wind coming in, and you're coming on top of warm water. And so it's, it's, Sea of Galilee is prone to sudden squalls, sudden storms like this. So here the men find themselves in this, on the Sea of Galilee, and this unexpected storm breaks out. I mean, it just is a beast of a storm. Have you ever been in a, in a storm, in a windstorm, and it's, it's hard to communicate I remember doing some hiking in upstate New York some years ago with some friends. And we're on the top of, of, of this mountain, and Dan is yelling to me. And, and I get it. I have not the greatest hearing now, but it was better then. I couldn't hear him. I had to turn my ear to face his mouth so I could hear what he's saying. So, so here is the Lord in this storm, in this windstorm. And they're, they're, they're suddenly faced with this fierce storm. Now, a windstorm on a mountain is a lot better than a windstorm on the Sea of Galilee. These disciples had never seen anything like this. They're in this severe storm, and the storm is swamping all around them, howling, threatening their lives. It's something like they've never had before. It's like, imagine a cork just being tossed on the water, bobbing up and down. This boat is going up and down, and they are in serious danger of their lives. So we see in verse 24, the panic and they went and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. So here are these fishermen. There are, there are 12 men on the boat. And four of them are experienced fishermen. These experienced fishermen have never seen anything like this in their life. They grew up on these waters. They grew up on this sea. And they've never seen anything like this. They are scared spitless. They, are, they, are, they don't know what to do. They've encountered this beast of a storm. Now, don't think of a small rowboat. We'll see the Jesus boat this summer. Jesus boat is a boat that was discovered in 1986 when the Sea of Galilee waters had subsided. They had a drought, and they saw this, this boat that is an incredible first century boat. It's a big, you can look online and look at the Jesus boat. You could get 10 to 12 people easily in this big boat. So it's not some small boat. They're all in this, this good-sized boat, and it's being bobbed up and down. I could just imagine these experienced fishermen yelling as the water is crashing all around them. Maybe Peter yelled, keep bailing the water, guys. Bail the water. And maybe Andrew's yelling, the sails, the sails are going to rip. Bring them down. I mean, they're just scared. And then they get this idea. Here's the Lord asleep. You know, maybe he can help us out a little bit. They, they don't know anywhere else to turn, so they think of turning to Jesus. Now, what can Jesus do if he's just a miracle worker that can cleanse lepers? If he's one that could restore sight, um, heal the, the lame, the blind? Is it possible that maybe he could do something about nature here? So their last resort, they turn to him. They're afraid. They're afraid this is the end and with great anxiety. And we compare other accounts. In fact, the Mark account says this. Master, don't you care that we are perishing? We see anxiety, fear, and even reproach. Lord, help us out. We're in trouble here. Don't you care? You know, we get in situations in life that we may cry the same thing to the Lord. Things that are threatening us, whether it's loss of a loved one, loss of 
ability that we once had that we can do, um, maybe cancer, uh, don't have the mobility that we once were able to. We sometimes have a, a wonder about it. Lord, do you care? Are you still there? Are you able to take care of me in this situation? Are you able to give me strength to navigate the waters that are before me? The disciples forgot that they were always safe with Jesus. They forgot that they were in good hands when they're with Jesus. And sometimes we forget that we're always safe with Jesus, that we're in good hands when we're with him. The one that can perform these incredible miracles is just about in a couple years to show them that they're safe with him when he goes to the cross and take care of their sin situation. We're totally always safe with Jesus. We don't need to panic. We don't need to fret. We don't need to worry. When things come in our lives, they catch us by surprise. They don't catch God by surprise. We need to just drop to our knees and run to Jesus because he knows the, he knows the storm that's beating upon our life. He knows the water that's filling our boat, so to speak, and we're starting to go down, but he's not going to let us sink. He who waits on the Lord will not be crushed by the weights of adversity. We just need to wait on the Lord and realize that he has everything in control. Well, we see in verse 24b, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. So as they cry out, don't you care? As they cry out, Lord, can't you help us? They were desperate. The power that they needed was what? What kind of power did they need? The power that they needed was no less than the power that spoke the worlds into existence. In the beginning, God created and God said and spoke them into existence. The same power that they needed was the power that parted the flood when Moses and Israelites were at their the end of their rope, and the Egyptians were coming up upon them. Or later, the Israelites, when they crossed into the Jordan, that water that allowed them to cross into the Jordan. Or the same power that brought the locusts down upon Egypt and then that wind, east wind, that west wind that swept them away. They needed that same power that is famous in the history of their four ancestors in Israel. That's the power that these men needed. The Lord, the creator of the universe, was on the water. The creator of the universe was asleep in the boat and he wakes up. And I imagine he fixes his eyes on the disciples and sees their fear. And he speaks the words, peace, be still. At the word of the creator, the storms had no option to continue but to become instantly, immediately, completely still. They cease, you know, the wind ceased, the air ceased, the water ceased completely immediately. Normally when storms are going to s slow down, they slow down gradually, gradually, gradually till we're, it's real tranquil. But with Jesus instantly, peaceful, instantly, tranquil, instantly still. You know, Jesus doesn't pray at this moment. He doesn't pray, oh God, please help us from this deadly danger. Please, Father, we're in serious situation. He looks at them and immediately speaks the storm still. And I want to make a, a, just a couple applications when we think in our lives of this, of this kind of power that God has. You know, it's comforting in, in my life and it's comforting in your life to know that this all-powerful God is our Savior. It may be okay with us today. It may be great with us today. It may be challenging for us today. 
God is still the pilot at the helm. God is still in control. First, we need just a couple points to remember that God's power not only saves us, right? Is that all it does? But doesn't also God's power keep us? This morning in Romans 8 in my devotion, just read that chapter a couple times and then listened to the song, Only a Holy God, and just enjoyed a sweet time of worship. What a God that, that can keep us, not just save us, but keep us, that nothing when Paul says, I'm persuaded that, that neither life nor death, that nothing's going to impact our lives. Romans 1.16, the gospel of Christ is the power of God to salvation. Jude 24, now to him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless. Just as it was impossible for those men in the ship that day, for the creed and redeemer of mankind on, uh, on that boat, for that ship to flounder, it is impossible for our lives to flounder when Jesus Christ is at the, at, the, at the helm. It's impossible for the forces of hell to get at us. We are forever in the hands of God, safe, kept by him. Once we've trusted in Christ as our Savior. But secondly, I look at this story and I, and I realize in the midst of trials and tribulations and troublesome times, not only does he keep me, my salvation... But also he's able to help us when, all of the, when the evil one is firing these darts at us and we start to worry, we start to doubt, we start to question. We're reminded of the truth. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That God has this whole situation, may I say, under control in our lives. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. God power is in us. God has our lives under control. Um, we were blessed the last 10 years of my dad's life to have uh, my dad living with us. He moved in 2010 and he moved into his next mansion at 2020. Um, but in 2011, 12, um, uh, my dad, we were living in Michigan. My dad was an upholsterer by trade. Um, when we were married, he gave us a sofa, love seats, and chair, all that he made, and we picked out the material. So we're reupholstering them in 2011. My dad was teaching me. He's like 90 years old at this point now, and he had, was teaching me, and we reupholstered a chair. We were working on the sofa, and I had stripped the sofa down to his bare frame, and just the springs are there. And we're in the garage, our garage in Michigan, and my dad's on a stool sitting watching me as I'm working on this. And I'm having trouble getting the, the springs all tied together. You have to put them together a certain way so that they're connected all together and they're like they work as one unit. And so I'm struggling with this for about five minutes. And I can remember it just like it was yesterday. Dad slowly gets out of the chair, and he wasn't trying to be funny. But he comes over to the middle of the sofa and he says, let me get this situation under control. <laughs> you know, I've often thought of that and think of it in, 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 in this story. Jesus rises to get the situation under control. My life is always under control because he is my pilot. He is my master. He's always taking care and he's at the helm of the situation. There's nothing in our lives that can ever come that isn't for our best for his glory. But I really want to get to the penetrating question in verse 25. He said to them, where is your faith? When Jesus is awoken, Matthew's account as we compare tells us that 
The disciples are fearful, and Jesus said to them, prior to the miracle, why are you men afraid, O men of little faith? He says, why are you afraid, men of little faith? They were fearful because they were faithless. And in my life, I am also fearful at times because, because I am faithless. My focus is not on the vertical, on God and who he is. It's on the horizontal and the circumstances that I'm hitting all around me. It's made clear in Luke's account that not only before the miracle were the disciples afraid, but they were afraid afterwards because he says to them, where is your afraid? Where is your, where is your faith? Why were you afraid? You saw all that I did. Why were you so frightened? Don't you believe in, in, my, in who I am? Don't you believe in my power? Don't you believe in what I'm able to do? You know, many of us, when storms come, sometimes we act like unsaved people. We panic and then realize, oh yeah, I got God. I could, let me calm down and go to him. That's a good idea. Maybe I should pray to him and ask him to direct me and give me strength. May we have faith always, not just faith in salvation. And that's awesome that we put our faith and trust in Christ. But may that faith be evident in everyday living. Not just the day when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, realizing I couldn't save myself, that Jesus Christ was my Savior, and I transferred my trust for myself to Him. But now God expects me to live out that, that faith in an everyday manner. May we live in a way that pleases Him. May we live in a way realizing that God... I belong to you. God, you're the master. May I live and submit to you and realize that this storm that I'm facing, you have it under control. But I want to get to the result in the disciples' discussion. And they were afraid and they marveled saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water and they obey? These men are filled with fear and then Jesus calms the storm. And then they're no longer fearful. They don't have this cowardly fear, but they have, a, I think, another kind of fear. It says that they marveled. They were, they were astonished. They're asking the question, well, well, who is this? I think the fear that they're having um, is a different word that's used, but it, it, it maybe it's similar to what Isaiah had in Isaiah chapter 6. I think they're, they're frightened to a point where they're in the presence of someone that they don't quite understand who he is. They don't understand his person. And they realize they're in the presence of somebody way, so to speak, out of their leg, out of their boat. Way out of their understanding. And they're shaping an understanding that he is more than just a great teacher. He is more than just a great, great miracle worker. They're fearful because they're under, starting to understand they're in the presence of somebody holy. I really think it's, it's, a, it's almost a reverence fear combined with timidity and fear also. But, but they're getting his person and they're asking, who is this? They're afraid because now the, the lake is tranquil, the, the lake is quiet, but they're afraid. Imagine if, if Jesus was only a great teacher. Imagine if on the boat that day, all that they had was a person that was a great teacher. They wake Jesus up, and Jesus sees a storm. His eyes are real big, and he says, how about another lesson? 
I got another parable for you. You know how that would have ended? It would have been 13 funerals on the Sea of Galilee. And it would have been mom saying, I told my boy to stay with fishing. Or I told my boy not to give up taxing. Or I told my boy not to give up fighting. (laughs) The zealot. It would have been mom's upset over what happened. But he wasn't just a teacher. He was the rare creator of the universe that's in their boat. And they had to get who he was and who he is. Chapter 9, verse 20. Jesus puts it to them in Caesarea Philippi. And he says, then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say? You see, they're growing in their understanding. They have to get who Christ is. And Peter makes this awesome statement. Thou art the Christ of God. He's getting it. He's understanding who he was. And it would be a couple verses later. In verse 27. As, or verse 35. As Peter and a couple others are on this Mount of Transfiguration. And he's going to really get who Christ is. When he sees Christ glorified in his very presence. But you see it was important for these men. In growing in their understanding of who Christ is, that no matter what comes in their lives, that they can trust the person and power of God because he is in absolute control. May our theology, our understanding, our belief system in what we know of Christ, that he's God the Son, and all of the truth that we can defend it before cults and all, but may that truly be fleshed out in our lives. May it impact us. May it not just stay up here, may it come here. May we remember in every situation in our lives that God has this situation under control. That he's rising up to interact on our behalf And may we live faithful lives that worship him and bring him glory. Let's bow in prayer. God, we are just stunned when we read stories of this. When we read the life of Jesus. And I continually remind ourselves that God the Son came He walked on this earth. Yes, he performed these great miracles. He showed his power. He showed his person. Then he went to the cross to show his love and to show his power. God, we rejoice in the person of Jesus Christ. We believe in God the Father. We believe in God the Son. We believe in God the Spirit, three in one. We believe that Jesus Christ, God the Son, 100% God, 100% man, came to this earth because I, we had a sin problem. We could not save ourselves and became the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the world. And God, we believe through faith, one putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior, getting out of the saving business, that they can become your child. And that we one day, we believe, will be victorious over death and all the limitations and challenges of this world and spend forever with you in perfected form, worshiping and adoring you. But God, until then, may we be found faithful. May we live for you and worship you as we ought. 
I pray in Christ's name, amen.